If there's one thing I love as much as sports, it's sleeping. If you're in the market for a new mattress, look no further than your local mattress firm. They have a selection unlike any other mattress retailer, meaning they can give you unbelievably low prices that nobody else can. Getting a new mattress can be a real game changer in your life, so draft your perfect mattress at Mattress Firm. Visit mattressfirm.com podcast and use the code podcast10 to get 10% off your new mattress. Navy Federal has a mission to put members first by making their financial goals a priority. Receive a lifetime of membership benefits to help you and your family accomplish your life missions like a full suite of financial products designed to fit your needs, 24-7 live support, and access to more than 300 branches on or near military bases. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. Call 1-888-842-6328 or download the Navy Federal Credit Union app. Message and data rates may apply. His father is the district attorney, and this is The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Michael Bauman, and I'm a staff writer at The Ringer. As always, we are part of The Ringer Podcast Network, which is itself a part of The Ringer.com, home to, as of this week, my MLB awards column. We've got ongoing NBA preview coverage. We're going to have a little bit of NHL preview coverage. I took part in that, and it's always enjoyable when they let us uh, write about hockey for the site. We had Katie Baker write about David Wright and his departure from the Mets. It's always a treat when Katie Baker... Baker gets to write about baseball. But today, we're going to be previewing the wildcard game. Zach Cram is up next with the American League, and Ben Lindbergh will be on later to talk about the National League wildcard game. So let's get to it. All right, we have to improvise a little bit because uh, the National League has not chosen either of its wildcard game participants as of the time uh, we've started recording. So I'm joined by a man who, like me, just watched Wilson Contreras take a ball off the perineum. Um, Zach Cram, how you doing? Hello. So we, I guess, both have one eye off on the uh, the National League wildcard game, but we're going to try to... Not the wildcard game. A, a tiebreaker number one. Tiebreaker game. Sorry. And it's, this is, I mean, it's historic, obviously, because there's never been two tiebreakers on the same day. But also, this is the, I believe the first time this has ever happened where the loser of the tiebreaker game doesn't go home. We've had a, we've had tiebreaker games in the two wildcard era before. Um, but never to decide to, which team goes in uh, straight into the division series and which team goes back into the wild card game. So it's a weird situation here, and it's it's being managed a little weirdly too. Yeah, and it brings a weird sense of urgency, but also a lack of urgency. Where I think Joe Madden said before the game that he was basically managing two games instead of one, and obviously you listening to this will know how that all played out. But I think. The managers are playing a, a little bit hesitant, a little bit too cautious now, especially because today, Monday, as we record this, they have access to the full September rosters, whereas tomorrow uh, in the wild card game, whichever team loses will only have a 25-man roster and therefore probably uh, will have to be a little uh, less flexible. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, let's not just narrate this game that, that we're both sort of kind of watching. Um, I'll be back with Ben Lindbergh in a couple minutes for, for you as you're listening in several hours in real time. And we'll talk about today or Monday's action and preview whichever whichever two teams make it out of, or I guess don't make it out of these games. So let's, uh, let's go to Yankees A's, which is a game that's been pretty much locked up for a couple months now. And both teams have had all that time to line up their rotations. And the A's look like they're going with reliever Liam Hendricks uh, in what 
appears for all intents and purposes to be a bullpen game. The the Yankees, as of the time we're recording, have not chosen a starter. Um, they're going to have just about everybody is an option, though, because of the, the way the schedule shakes out. And I think of every team that makes the playoffs, the Yankees and A's have maybe the two best bullpens. The Astros could sneak in there potentially, but the Yankees, I believe they're bullpen set the record for most war for any bullpen in major league history and obviously part of that is that war is a counting set and bullpens just pitch more innings now the athletics bullpen i think had the most innings pitched of any bullpen this year outside tampa and tampa obviously skewed that a bit because of their use of the opener so i'm not surprised that a team like the A's would try bullpenning the wildcard game. When you look at the depth they have, I would be shocked if Blake Trinan doesn't pitch two innings and then they have like three or four other closer quality relievers. Even if they only go an inning each, if you add in Hendricks, that's seven or eight innings right there. And it's not that much of a stretch to get three more outs from the rest of your, uh, from the rest of your roster. No. And coming, coming into this with the idea that you're gonna, that you're going to throw a bullpen game is, it limits your options, I guess, a little bit because it, you know, I guess the the thing that I would be afraid of mostly is this game's going to go into extra innings. Um, and then, you know, without the 40 man roster, it's possible you're going to wind up stretching people. Um, but even with the with the wild card game, you're you're only carrying one starting pitcher, essentially. And I don't you know, the thing about the A's, they could wind up doing this pretty much every playoff game because I don't know who they're starting pitchers are i guess at this point like they they've played around with uh with their rotation so much um with sean Manaya out nobody served more than 115 and in change innings uh nobody that they'll be able to, to call on has thrown more than 115 innings you know, you, you look at a team like the astros or you know or astros indians that entire series is going to be top-notch starting pitchers you know, even though both of those those teams have invested a lot in their their bullpens, I imagine it's going to be managed relatively conventionally. Whereas the A's just, I don't know that they have a starting pitcher who would crack the top four or five of, of Houston's rotation or Cleveland's. In terms of this one game against the Yankees, though, I think they do match up relatively well. Basically, all of the Athletics' most trusted relievers are right-handed pitchers, and the Yankees' wildcard lineup will almost assuredly feature seven right-handed hitters plus Aaron Hicks and D.D. Gregorius, and both Aaron Hicks and D.D. Gregorius hit lefties just fine. So I think the fact that the A's will have the platoon advantage for most of the game is helpful on the margins there. It, It kind of just is a fascinating game in extremes in this matchup. You have... Like in Yankee Stadium, which is the most homer-friendly ballpark in the majors, the A's hit the most road home runs of any team this year and of any team since 2001 when the Giants had Barry Bonds and set the record in this regard. So the A's will probably like epitomize the 2018 way of playing just in this game by going for home runs, relying on a bullpen, and that's kind of the intersection of lots of trends that we've been observing over the last few years. So... If you were Aaron Boone, who would, and it's been a full year, it still feel, feels weird talking about Aaron Boone as manager of the Yankees. Um, who would you go with? You know, because Luis Severino is is your nominal ace. He had uh, probably the best numbers of anybody who was with the team uh, all season, but he struggled a little bit down the stretch. You know, Masahiro Tanaka pitched well in last year's playoffs. Jay Happ has been uh, really good down the stretch for them. Who would you start with? First of all, as Boone said, it might not matter as much as 
uh, as much ink has been spilled on this topic over the last few days because he said even if the starter is succeeding, he might look to pull him after three or four innings because the Yankees have those relievers who can go an inning or more each. I think probably Tanaka was the favorite uh, given how well he had been pitching down the stretch. Then he struggled in his last two games, but I think putting too much stock in such a, a of a recency effect isn't necessarily the best way to go. It's kind of like chasing your tail at that point. I think Tanaka is probably the favorite given just his body of work over the season's second half, but really I wouldn't be surprised with any of the three options that Boone could pick. And he's talked about how you need to manage just for this one game. I, I don't know, do you put any faith in the fact that someone like Jay Happ has pitched particularly well against the Red Sox this year? And if the Yankees do advance, they would prefer to have Hap going in game one of that series. I like Hap, not because of, of how he's pitched against the Red Sox, but he's not he's not the kind of pitcher who you throw out there and tell him you're only going 50 pitches and his stuff would really play up. And you can't go, you can't really go to your bullpen. Uh, you know, you can't go eight or nine pitchers deep in a division series, even with a day off every, uh, every two games. So Hap just, you know, Hap's virtue in this situation, as opposed to somebody like Severino, um, whose stuff is much better. Hap's biggest, um, you know, the biggest selling point on him is his ability to pitch a conventional starters workload. And I think that's, that's just more valuable in a five game series as opposed to a one game playoff. I agree. And I also think given Oakland's uh, lineup construction, it could potentially be problematic with Hap going up against all of their right-handed power hitters. But I don't know. Do you think Tanaka or Severino uh, has a particular advantage either way? Because again, I've probably gone back and forth among those three pitchers, honestly, like a dozen or more times in the last week or two. The thing about, I think Severino is their best pitcher. I agree. If if you just had to to pick one, you know, the thing about about Severino though, is that he's had like, there were, there were stretches down uh, in the second half of the season where it just looked like he was nursing an injury or had a, you know, some sort of mechanical blow up. So, you know, it's a matter of, I think, I think there's more upside with Severino and he's pitched just fine in September. Um, but I think Tanaka is a little bit of a safer pick, but at the same time, I don't know if this is the, you know, if, if uh, the wild card game, you know, this one game playoff is the time to really play it safe. In particular, and uh, we, we, you know, we're spending all this time hemming and hawing over, over who the uh, the Yankees might um, might start. You know, Severino started the wild card game last year and got one out, and they won the game anyway, and you know, they had it pretty much wrapped up by the by the middle innings. So it's like you said, if they go to their their starter for one and a half, two times through the order, and that's it, then this could wind up not really mattering a whole lot. The interesting thing about this decision isn't only that you know it might not end up mattering as much, but I think there's such a small distinction, and it's one of those things where if it goes wrong, Aaron Boone's going to be blamed no matter mm-hmm. who he chooses, and if it goes right, he's going to be praised no matter who he chooses. Uh, it's definitely going to be interpreted as a results over process thing. The same honestly applies to Melvin with going the bullpen route. If that doesn't succeed, you'll get traditionalists lamenting the idea of experimenting in a such an important game. And if it works, he'll be hailed as a genius who was a forward thinker. And I don't think that's fair to either manager because the Orioles just beat the Astros in a game over the weekend. Anybody can beat anybody in a baseball game, particularly when with the Yankees and A's, you have 
two teams. The Yankees won 100 games. The A's were in the upper 90s. Like, these are really good teams. And I think either might be a favorite to advance out of the National League, but they're not even going to make the real American League bracket. At the same time, like, that's just sort of how this works, right? You know, that's sort of the name of the game in, in playoff baseball. It's, it is result over over process. And that's something that I think, yeah, our generation of, of baseball analysts has sort of struggled with a little bit is, is making sense of, of a, of playing scenario where like not everything, you know, it's not as deterministic as, as regular, uh, regular season baseball. Not everything happens for a reason. Sometimes you get away with making bad decisions. Sometimes, you know, you make the right decisions and it doesn't work. And, that just sort of comes with the territory of, of being Aaron Boone at this point. Um, and with, with something like Tanaka versus, versus Severino, I think there's a reasonable argument to be made for, for both pitchers. So I guess we've just sort of written off Jay Happ and watched Jay Happ start, uh, <laughs> start the wildcard game. But, you know, I don't, I don't think this is something that Boone would necessarily get killed for if this goes wrong. I think, you know, I think that there's that public opinion right now, at least is, is, uh, split enough that you could see both sides of the issue. I don't think you've been following Yankees Twitter recently where lots of- Let me of tell you something, Zach. <laughs> I have not been following Yankees Twitter. Lots of people want a, a rookie year manager who won 100 games in his first season to be fired at the end of the year. So maybe that's not a fair assessment regardless. But the one thing he does have going for him is he seems to have settled on the lineup he'll use. Brett Gardner has been shifted to the bench with the emergence of Andrew McCutcheon after that trade. I think Luke Voigt has fairly uh, relegated Greg Bird to the bench with his home run binge since his trade has come over. Uh, and with Andujar and Torres, the rookies in the infield, you might end up seeing Andujar subbed out for a defensive replacement like Adani Hechevaria if the Yankees have a lead in the late innings, but he seems to have settled on the right nine players he's going to use. And I'm not as sure Bob Melvin knows who he's going to start yet because Oakland has a, a little bit more even depth throughout its lineup. Uh, you could see more pinch hitting there depending on who the Yankees bring in in relief. Uh, but with the Yankees, I think uh, you have a, a stabilized nine right now. So who do you like? So I am I'm writing a piece for the website right now about how the A's are not the underdog they are purported to be. Like I said, they won lots of games this year. They're very good. Their position players rank second in the majors in war this year behind only the Dodgers. Uh, I think the A's, I, I was high on them before the season, and I'm not going to stop now. Even though they're the underdog, they could very easily give up five home runs in this game. I'm predicting them uh, to beat the Yankees, I think. What, like 5-3 maybe? They'll hit a couple homers. Uh, Matt Chapman will make one amazing play, and Trinan will come in for the save. I, I'm also uh, playing around with picking Oakland to beat Boston, but I, I don't think I have to do that yet. If you did, I would love it. Just that's that's a very Zach Cram pick, and I it, it's like I I like the the thought process behind that. Um, yeah, I... I don't think it's going to be that low scoring. I think this could be like an 11-9 game or something like that. Um, I am also sort of talking myself into Oakland. And, I, you know, I mean, it, the the margins between these teams are so thin right now. Like, they don't seem like they'd get overawed the way uh, the way the Twins sort of felt um, when they were when they went into Yankee Stadium last year. Like, that felt, the Twins felt like a, what you would imagine a young developing wildcard team to 
to be, which is, you know, they didn't feel like they were complete. They felt like a lot of what they were doing was, was smoke and mirrors. And I, you know, even though there's more, more finesse and more creativity and more weirdness to, to this A's team than that twins team, I think like the A's seem to, they've gotten through the stretch run with the injuries that they've had to their starting pitchers with the way Bob Melvin's had to, to improvise. I don't think anything is going to intimidate them at this point. And I think that's, that's a big part of, of uh, some of the, you know, the pressure of the playoffs, like it affects different people in different ways and, and it's unpredictable. And a lot of what gets ascribed to clutchness is really bullshit. But I think that there's really something to being able to go in there and take a punch and, and rebound against, you know, in the playoffs in Yankee stadium. I think that that's, it's a, a different, you know, it's a different atmosphere than the the regular season. I think the A's will be well attuned to that. And, you know, I, I like any team that has the ability to throw Blake trying in for two innings in a winner in a winner take all game. That's the other thing. Yeah. Unlike the twins last year where the twins took a three zero first inning lead, you still kind of expected the Yankees to claw back because the twins just didn't have the reliever depth. You know, I think, even Trevor Hildenberger was their best middle reliever last year, and he'd be the sixth best member of this A's bullpen with not only Trinan, but uh, Sean Kelly, who's been great since coming over, Juris Familia, Fernando Rodney, Emilio Pagan, Yusmero Petit. Like, all of these guys could very easily throw a scoreless inning. So if Oakland does take a, a first-inning lead on a Chris Davis home run, like, all of a sudden, if you're Bob Melvin, you're thinking if I just rely on my guys to get the three outs mm-hmm. they've gotten all year, then you're winning and going to Fenway Park on Friday. You can, it's not even, like we talked, the the 96 Yankees, like they said, if if the Yankees are winning after six innings, it's over because they could hand it over to Rivera and Wetland. Like the A's can start, Bob Melvin can start that roadmap to the end of the game if they take a lead at any point. I think that they've got, and it's and it's not just how many good relievers they have, it's that Trinan could throw two innings if you need to, or come in earlier in the game. You know, Lou Trevino can throw two innings, Petit can throw two innings or more. And there's, it's an interesting combination of a team that is the underdog and might therefore play like it's got nothing to lose and be more aggressive in, um, in a one-game playoff, I like the team that manages more aggressively because it's it's just so different than you can't just go out there and manage this like it's a Wednesday afternoon game in August. You know, it's and I think Bob Melvin has sort of been doing that already, but they've got the the quality of having nothing to lose that would embolden, I think, Melvin and the players to to play more aggressively. But also they feel like they don't feel like they think they're an underdog or they they look like one of those underdogs that is confident in what they're doing. And I think that's going to be, I don't know, you know, this is just the story I'm telling myself. For all I know, Aaron Judge is going to hit a seven-run home run in the first inning and this game's never going to be close. But Did I talk we'll you come back Oakland? on Thursday and look like morons for talking ourselves into Oakland. But yeah, I... I can I can envision that happening, and it's it seems entirely plausible that Oakland comes through this. I thought that'd be a harder sell. My job here is done. No, I I wonder if I'm just talking myself into into that because I think that would be the most fun outcome. You know, Oakland winning something that winning a a, a high scoring back and forth game where Melvin is just constantly making the right the the right bullpen. Uh, move like that that feels like the game I would most want to watch and maybe I'm just imagining something that that I want to see but 
don't know. I'm I'm done. I'm done doubting the A's. And the Yankees have sort of like they've been. I don't know if they just suffer from constant comparison to the Red Sox, but like they haven't looked that convincing down the stretch. Except for Luke Voigt, who will who will win this game. Oh <laughs> boy. Um one interesting tidbit, Liam Hendricks, I just looked this up, uh, is set to become the first Australian to start a playoff game in Major League Baseball. There you go. Liam Hendricks, I love Liam Hendricks. He seems like like one of the top 10 good hangs in baseball. Um, so I'm eager to see him go out and throw an inning or two and become a trivia question and maybe pop a, a button on his jersey like he has a couple times uh, this season. So I'm, I'm eager to see Liam Hendricks under the big lights. It seems like this game is so far from now because we have both NL tiebreaker games and then the That's, NL wildcard game. Yeah. But like this game is two days away and it's a matchup between two really compelling teams. There could be a lot of interesting strategic decisions and I'm very excited to watch. It, it feels so far off in the future. Like it feels like I'm going to go home for Thanksgiving and then come back and this game's going to happen. And and the National League's just going to be playing one game tiebreakers from now until uh, then. Do we miss anything or we uh, you think we've wrapped up? We're both we're both picking Oakland. I can't believe that we're going to look like such fools when it turns out the the bullpen train that comes in and shuts down a team and and holds a lead is the Yankees with their six guys who can throw 90, 98. Right, you sort of take that for granted, don't you? I don't know. I'm I'm okay. I think if there's one thing I've I've established over two and a half years of doing this show is that I'm okay being wrong. <laughs> so you know, if you're going to be wrong, let's have fun with it. And I think this is this would be a fun way to be wrong. Just make uh, Ben make a prediction later, too, so we can all be wrong together. I'm going to make Ben make tons of predictions. Don't worry. All right. uh, Zach Cram will be back. We're going to be doing two of these a week. That's at least the plan. We're at the very least going to be doing one Thursday where we're going to talk about these two games, uh, these two wildcard games, and then preview the division series. So you'll be back, and we'll be talking about some division series matchups and maybe talking less about Liam Hendricks. But uh, I'm looking forward to this. Enjoy the games. Thanks again to Zach Cram. We'll be right back with Ben Lindbergh and the National League wildcard game right after this. G Suite is a suite of cloud-based productivity tools that includes Gmail, Docs, Slides, Sheets, and Drive. These tools improve your work life both in terms of your experience and the outputs you create, hence their new campaign, Make It With G Suite. You know when you have 20 identical versions of a document labeled Final and no clue which is the latest? So you make another version, name that one Final Final, right? Well, with G Suite by Google Cloud, a range of work apps like Gmail, Docs, and Slides lets you make real-time updates to the same document without having to keep track of version after version of the same project. And since all the tools are cloud-based, your whole team can access the same document and work on the same page at the same time. To find out more about G Suite's productivity tools, visit gsuite.com. That's gsuite.com. Make it with G Suite by Google Cloud. This episode is also brought to you by Chinook Cedary. Chinook Cedary has a different take on the all-American tradition of eating sunflower seeds. Chinook seeding is a pastime to pair with your favorite activities on the playing field, road tripping, on the job, or just lounging on the couch. Chinook Cedary is committed to quality, not mass-producing seeds as cheaply as possible. They don't use any artificial ingredients or MSG, and their small batch roasting process leads to a noticeably better seeding experience. That means shells that crack easier and don't splinter in your mouth. With half as much salt as other brands, you can eat them all day without that salty burn. These are the largest seeds in the market grown in the United States, and they come in unique, delicious, one-of-a-kind flavors like Parmesan pepper and Hatch chili, 
I surprisingly am fond of the uh, the cinnamon toast flavor, which you wouldn't think that that kind of sweet goes with the saltiness of, of Chinook seeds, but they sent some to me and I had to try them. They're quite good. So if you, like System of a Down, are interested in eating seeds as a pastime activity, I have good news for you. There's nothing more American than baseball and spitting seeds. Whether you're headed to a ballpark and watching the playoffs from home, don't do baseball without a bag of Chinook seeds nearby. Head to ChinookSeedery.com and use code MLB to get 20% off a bag of the best seeds ever. Now back to Ben Lindbergh and the National League wildcard game. All right, we're back at the end of a very long, very stressful day of baseball. Uh, We finally know who's going to be in the National League wildcard game. We had this weird... uh, I mean, it's not it's not really winner take all, but, you know, high stakes. But the worst that happens, you essentially get dumped into the losers bracket. It was very, very strange. You know, Zach and I talked about uh, how weird the the two playing games were, but the Brewers won the Dodgers won. That means that the Cubs will take on the Colorado Rockies in Wrigley Field uh, for the National League Wild Card. hopefully after you listen to this segment. So we're going to talk about a little bit about Monday's action and preview what is to come on Tuesday. So tell me do that. Ben Lindbergh. Hi. Yeah. Cubs fans are not pleased as a group right now, it would seem. No. And you know what? As as well, they should not be. You know, I think the to to dwell on the Cubs' failings, I think, takes a little bit away from the Brewers, who played yes. real well down the stretch. I mean, this is a, a 95-win regular season team. That 95 wins will win you the division almost every time. Um, mm-hmm. This team was absolutely good. You know, Christian Yelich will probably win the National League MVP and deserve it. I mean, he's played, and I compared him to 1967 Carl Yastrzemski in the way that he played down the stretch, particularly in this uh, last eight game winning streak that got them to the division title. Um, I mean, this this is a hell of a Milwaukee team, but it's hard not to be disappointed in in the Cubs in some respects, even though they they themselves won ninety five games and they're not out of it. I think they'll they'll be favorites. They have a game at home with John Lester on the mound, and if they win that, they go to the division series. Yeah, I mean, it certainly makes sense to be disappointed when you're up five games at any point in September and you don't end up winning your division. I think we should distinguish between what happened here and, say, a collapse where a team just Absolutely. falls apart. I mean, there are things that went wrong for the Cubs this month, certainly. But, you know, they were 16-12 and 12 in September going into Game 163. They held up their end of the bargain. That's a, a pace that you would take over the course of a season and that would generally get you to the playoffs. And so I think you really do have to hand it to the Brewers who just refused to lose, much like the Rockies did to force that playoff with the Dodgers. I mean, it wasn't so much that the Dodgers fell apart at the end of the season as it was that the Rockies just went, you know, more than a week at a time without losing a game. And when that happens, you're going to make up ground. So On the whole, I think the Cubs had a successful season. They did finish with a slightly better run differential than the Brewers. Not that that gets you anything, but it tells you something about the team quality. And there are problems. I mean, there are bullpen concerns. There are concerns about the offense right now, which was not great in September and was not great in Game 163 and really was not its first half self in the second half. And I've seen a lot of people blaming Chili Davis for that because, unfortunately for him, he left the Red Sox and the Red Sox then turned into a a (laughs) super-powered offense. And then he went to the Cubs and the way that the Cubs season ended was largely blamed on the offense. I think if you look at the full season stats, 
the 2018 Cubs offense was almost identical, at least in terms of total production, to the 2017 Cubs offense. But it was different, and they hit fewer homers. But I don't know that you can blame a hitting coach for that so much as you can blame, say, you know, the league as a whole losing some homers and some offense and things like Chris Bryant clearly not being his power self even when he was on the field. And yeah, Anthony Rizzo lost a little bit of power. Wilson Contreras didn't hit as well as he uh, had. Kyle Schwarber, yeah, Ian Happ was was fine. You know, maybe a little disappointing from from some of the high expectations, but yeah, you know, everybody sort of did underperform a little bit across the board, except for Javi Baez. That is just sort of how it how it felt, and I think it's part of it is how quickly the Cubs have turned into this decade's Red Sox, right? Mm-hmm. You're going from the the lovable losers with this great young core. And then all of a sudden, you know, everybody expects them to win the world series every single year. And sometimes that just d- doesn't happen. That's how you wind up talking about a 95 win team. Like it's an 85 win team. And even now we're talking about them like the season's over and the season is very much not, I think all things being equal, they're probably going to win. So mm-hmm. Uh, I came out with a, a strong prediction. Zach and I are both pro A's, so I'm I'm going, <laughs> I'm hanging my ass out on the line. I've decided I don't care about being wrong. So, <laughs> well, I think that you look at how the Cubs got to this point, and you sort of expect this smooth progression where you go from being a bad team to being a pretty good team, and then a good team, and then a great team, and then you know eventually you get bad. But there are dips and peaks and valleys mm-hmm. even in the course of one core contending. And so the Cubs won 97 games in 2015, and then they had the storybook season in 2016 where they won 103, and they looked like a historic team for much of that that year and then they just sailed into the World Series and everything was perfect. And since then, it has not been as perfect. They won the division last year, but with only 92 wins. And now they have lost the division with 95. I mean, all you can really ask is that you build a team that wins 90-something games year after year, which they have now done for several years in a row. And some years that will get you all the way to the promised land. And some years there will be a Brewers team that doesn't lose in September and just happens to pass you at the last minute because they're a good team too. And sometimes you just, yeah, you sometimes you just run into a bigger fish. Mm-hmm. Like this is a very good Brewers team. Like we said, it's red hot right now. You know, I they might take anybody in baseball at, at this particular point in time. And you think about, you know, the Cubs got crushed by the Dodgers in the playoffs last year when the Dodgers were red hot. Dodgers were clearly the best team uh, in the National League last year. And to a certain extent, like there's not a whole lot you can do about that. Not that that's at all comforting to Cubs fans who were pissed about the way the season ended, but months or years from now, you'll, it's that is easier to appreciate as somebody who's been through that as a fan a couple times. You know, yeah. sometimes you just get beat by a better team or get beat by a team that's that's hot at the right time. And you know, the mm-hmm. Brewers right now they look real scary. Yes, in the division series. I mean, just the way the the bullpen played out. You know, I thought Yulis Chassin pitched pretty well today, but and I I would have gone to the bullpen even or even earlier than Craig Council did, mm-hmm. but he got two out. Two innings out of Hader, you got an inning out of Corey Knable. Didn't use Jeremy Jeffress. Used Joaquin Soria for uh, only a third of an inning. Didn't use Corbin Burns. And like, he's got so many weapons out of that pen. He can shorten that game to you know, the the Brewers starting rotation isn't that good. It won't need to be right, uh, it, it, particularly in the division series where you don't play more than two 
two games in a row. They're kind of the National League A's, I think, in a lot of ways, in that they Mm -hmm. have this weird rotation that is not all that impressive, and they've built this incredibly deep bullpen, and you're right, in the playoffs, it doesn't matter as much that you don't have the the ace-type starters, because you can get by with just your you know, fringy guys that you do have going a few innings and then you bring in Hader and Jeffress and everyone else behind them and, and it can work like that. It's funny that you mentioned that you didn't think the hook was quick enough because I've been wondering how often we would have that conversation this month because that's been the dominant theme of the past few playoffs is yeah. just us sitting on Twitter and saying – Third time through the order, penalty is not as for... good. You know, bring him out. It's it's the same refrain. You know, unless you have an ace out there, it just has seemed like. And to be fair, the game has changed quickly. And if you're a manager, you better be in a continuing education course and understand that you have to manage differently in the postseason than teams tended to even just a, a few years ago. You know, Tony Arusa and his last Cardinals run aside. So – I think that our default position really for the past few years, I mean, talking on Twitter, on Slack, it just seems like the story of almost every game when something goes wrong, you know, we end up blaming the manager and often it's because, oh, he didn't bring in this guy at that time. And, you know, statistically speaking, most of the time those moves don't swing the game and you could actually bring in the best pitcher and it might not actually help you. But that has been the default criticism and post-game reaction. And I've been wondering whether it would be now because teams have adjusted and this is the season of bullpenning and the opener. And we're probably actually going to see a team go into the AL wildcard game and do the bullpen thing, which is Mm -hmm. limited to sabermetric bloggers recommending that year after year and never having that recommendation taken. Now it is. So I will be curious to see whether managers don't give us anything to complain about this month. I I doubt it. I think we'll probably find a few things. Yeah, I mean, and Zach and I talked about this too. Like this, we're entering a, a part of the year where it's just all about results and just whatever gets the right result yeah. is the right process. You know, I I think it's, you know, the paradigm is just completely different now. And I think that inflection point was was 2014 with the Royals. Yeah. Um, but even that that World Series, you know, the Giants were scrambling. They didn't have a pitcher other than Madison, uh, Madison Bumgarner that they trusted. Mm-hmm. You think about 14 through 17, eight teams that made the World Series, who really used a traditional one through four, you know, starter goes seven innings rotation mm-hmm. you know the 2015 Mets and the 2016 Cubs really that's it yeah and everybody else is mixed and matched or they've had like the 16 Indians and last year's Astros they have one or two starting pitchers that that they trust and just sort of figure everything else out and you know you have Rich Hill going on short rest for two and change innings or Lance McCullers and and Charlie Morton turning into a tandem uh tandem outfit it I mean this is just this is just how baseball is now and and as much as that's true in a best of five or best of seven series, that goes double in a one game playoff. And I think it, all four managers today sort of managed like they knew they had another shot. And I think council was perhaps the most, you know, even as, as I was thinking, boy, you know, you got to get to Hader and Burns and, and Jeffers faster. Um, he managed very aggressively. And I think that helped him. And there's, if you know you have a game to lose, you might underestimate how much you have to to gain by winning this game in particular. Because the advantage of, particularly in the first game where you go from the wild card game to home field advantage throughout the National League bracket, yeah. is that's a huge difference. Yeah, and th- you know the Brewers, I 
don't even know how much the Brewers uh, World Series odds jumped by by winning this one game. Right. We've been having that conversation ever since the second wild card came in. Like, is this actually a playoff spot? Do we treat it that way? Do we even call it that? Because it's mm-hmm. really kind of a, a coin flip. And so it feels good to get there. And I think Cubs fans, you know, would have been happy several years ago for for a wild card spot. They would have settled for that throughout much of their history. And I'm sure the Rockies are are happy to be there too. And they should right. be. But it the, is different. The answer whether it counts as a playoff appearance, I think depends on the team. I think it counts for a playoff appearance for the Rockies and it doesn't for the Cubs and it wouldn't have for the Dodgers just based on how you got on expectations. Yeah. yeah. And also where the game is, I think, well, it helps if it's a home game at least so that you, yes. you feel like you got one playoff game that your fans actually got to right. go to and see, which will be the case for the Cubs. But, you know, I think there is just a, a lot of panic right now and just people upset about where the Cubs are and the fact that they even have to be in this game. But if they do win this game, and I think they're probably favored, it's close and it's one game, but if they do get past the Rockies, then they'll be in the division series and it'll be like none of this ever happened really because ultimately no one knows or cares who won the division. It all depends mm-hmm. kind of what happens after that. And it, this could be setting up, you know, how much more memorable was that 2014, uh, uh, the 2014 Royals run because mm-hmm. they started off with maybe the best baseball game I've ever seen. Yes. Uh, Speaking that, of John Lester starts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, the one thing that I would worry about if I were the Cubs and I've just got this box score up that might, and it happened first. So maybe that's why we're, we're talking about it. I promise we'll talk about the Rockies and the Dodgers. <laughs> um, and maybe this is a good segue. The one thing that would worry me is I think I would rather have Kyle Freeland going for me than John Lester right now. Yeah. Um, and that might be, you know, we talk about bullpenning. The Rockies don't have a great bullpen. There are part there are parts of that lineup that just kind of look messy right now, and I, you know some of that was probably how well Walker Bueller pitched. Um, mm-hmm. But the Cubs don't really look solid. I don't know how much I trust the other twenty four guys on the Rockies right now, apart from Freeland. Yeah, it's all you know how guys look on a, a given day or, or a given month. The Rockies hit really well in September, and their bullpen mm-hmm. did really well in September. And before that, there were long stretches where neither of those things was true. And the Rockies had a, a really anemic offense and their much you know touted and expensive bullpen that they put together largely over the last offseason looked like a total flop at points before eventually gelling. So I think they didn't look great against Walker Bueller, and that's understandable because Bueller is really good. But yeah. I think they if, have looked good. Ryan O'Hanlon, lately. by the yeah. way. Uh, Ryan O'Hanlon doesn't like anything. He <laughs> loves Walker Bueller. Yeah. He talks about Walker Bueller like he's just like he's just fallen in love. Yeah. It's really adorable, and I think it speaks volumes to to how incredible he. I mean, he's doing the Chase Utley dropping the f bomb in live mic, and it's it's great. I can't get enough of him. Yeah, and I'm a Freeland fan as well, and I I wrote about Freeland for our website not long ago, and. I'm a believer in what he does. He doesn't do it the way that a typical ace does. And I don't know that he always will be an ace, but he certainly pitched like one this season. Although I guess ultimately Herman Marquez kind of took over down the stretch and was just dominant. But Freeland is on three days rest. So I don't know what to say about that. He's only done that, I believe, one other time in his career. 
he has been extremely solid and consistent. And wherever he's gone, he's been better over the course of his career in Colorado, oddly enough. But he's been effective everywhere. And certainly if it were a full rest matchup of Freeland versus Lester, I wouldn't have to think about that. I would take Freeland, but I don't know how he will be compromised by being on short rest. I think Lester on the whole this season He started out really well from a run prevention standpoint, and it was clear that it was sort of smoke and mirrors, and he was heading for a a kind of correction. And then that correction came, but then over, I think, his last eight starts or so, he's been dominant. And I don't know whether he figured something out or whether we're just looking too closely by parsing the season into little subsections of the season to try to find meaning there. Obviously, he has a lot of postseason success, and I don't know whether that might lead to too long a leash just because of what he has done in the past when he was a different pitcher than he is today. But all else being equal, certainly Freeland gets the edge, but all else is not equal in this case. Yeah, I mean, you think about if... There are pitchers who know how to win, as I'm making asshole air quotes right now. <laughs> like you'd think that Lester would be one of them. You know, I that has to help, right? You know, just having you just think about, you know, just personally, like a lot I get a lot of anxiety from just doing something I haven't done before. You know, going, you know, I've never been to this place, I've never experienced this thing. And as soon as, you know, as soon as you get in there and look around, you feel comfortable. And I think that wealth of postseason experience that John Lester has going back more than a decade now. That has to, you know, that has to be an advantage. Just knowing that he's succeeded in in tougher situations than this, uh, yeah, that that has to to put him at ease. You know, I think I we'll see how big a thing the the short rest is because I remember having similar doubts about Dallas Keuchel going into the to the wild card game in 2015, and he was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you know that. It'll be an issue or it won't. It, you know, he'll be he'll be tired or, or he'll figure out a way to pitch through it or or he will be, you know, completely unaffected. You know, we'll see. Um but you know, the if he does have to come out early, I don't you know, I don't know how how much I trust the middle part of that. You know, as shaky as as parts of that Cubs bullpen have looked, I don't know that Col- I trust Colorado's anymore. No, and we'll see whether Pedro Strope will make a, a dramatic comeback for this game. He is uh, questionable as we speak, but possibly returning. And I think that a lot of the analysis that we try to do that can be helpful over long stretches and large samples really sort of breaks down at this level. As you're saying, it really depends on the day and the pitcher. And we can look at the numbers and say that historically speaking, if you start on three days rest, you're not going to be as good. That has been the case generally. And so if you have to bet on an outcome, that's probably what you would bet on, that Kyle Freeland will not be his usual effective self, but he certainly could be on this one day. And we don't have enough of a sample to say how Kyle Freeland specifically is affected by pitching on short rest. So it's kind of this paradox where we end up talking more and analyzing more single games and single series in the playoffs than we ever even attempt to in the regular season because these games matter and this decides how teams are perceived. But it's kind of the the worst way that we can actually talk about them because so few of the tools that we have at our disposal are actually helpful in a single game, in a single wildcard game. So 
You know, you mentioned the anxiety that you would feel or that I would feel going into a, a new situation that we haven't experienced before. I don't know whether major league players experience that sort of anxiety. I think they are kind of selected not to. They're just tougher than we are. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. I, I think in, <laughs> people in every with our mental way. makeup get weeded out. Is that what yeah, you're saying? I think uh, podcasters do not get weeded out. We do not get selected for our courage under pressure in the way that major league pitchers do. So. I don't know that you can put that much stock in experience. I mean, that's the other thing. Because our large sample tools and abilities to draw conclusions fail us at this time of year, we fall back on narratives and things that sound like they should be true or could be true and might be true, but we don't actually have any evidence that they're true. And, you know, every study that I have seen that attempts to show that previous experience or veteran status is helpful in the playoffs has not shown that. And every study that looks at momentum and, you know, if you look at the Cubs and you say, well, they're going to be down coming into this game because they just blew this lead in the division and then they lost game 163 and they're going to be dejected. And how are they going to get off the mat and actually show up for this game? I haven't seen any evidence that there is any kind of carryover effect from that sort of thing. So these are the kind of things we talk about in October. And it sounds like they should be true because the analogs of them would be true in our work, but I think that's why we do this sort of work and they do that sort of work. I think the past six or seven minutes of this podcast has been really interesting because the the playoffs really brings out, you know, you and I look at baseball, I think, through a relatively similar analytic uh, worldview. I mean, we don't agree on everything, but we, we generally look at the uh, at the game the same way from you know sort of an empirical standpoint. And come the playoffs, come these small samples, uh, you plug your ears and just, <laughs> I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. I don't want to talk about this this way. Whereas I have no problem going right back to 1965 <laughs> with my analysis. Right. And, you know, I love this. And this is I enjoyed the playoffs just so, as much. Oh, yeah, I love yeah. the playoffs. I don't mean to insinuate yeah, that you don't. No, I, I, I find that I have trouble analyzing it in the way that I try to in the regular season. And that's okay because I just give up on analyzing things in the playoffs and just say, well, whatever's going to happen happens and it's going to be fun and we're all going to enjoy the ride. And at the end, probably the best team won't win because it usually doesn't. And that's kind of okay. We've all just decided that we prefer this format that we want to see the exciting month and the tournament that doesn't necessarily tell us which teams were better, but just happened to tell us which teams played better or got luckier over this course of the month. If we wanted only the best team award, we would just stop after the regular season. And that's the way that it works. And I love it. But it is a challenge, I think, because it's a huge pain when you have to, to break analyze, it down. Yeah. Right. It's like, you know, people, I don't know whether they look to us, but they look to analysts in general or writers in general to be the soothsayers at this time of year because this is when the games really matter. And this is, I think, the time when we are least useful that we say the least sooth. So don't listen to us, but, but watch the games and enjoy them and take it for what it is. Well, it's a lot easier to do it, to analyze it from a what happened standpoint. Right. You know, you can look back and it's it's easy to to do sort of post hoc analysis of, of process. But obviously, if you or I had a significantly better than coin flip idea of who is going to win this game, we wouldn't be doing this. We wouldn't be sharing that information with our listeners. We'd be in Vegas making tons of money. And so, you know. I love steering into that, you know, mm -hmm. just bring on the bullshit. So yeah. let's, let's end, end with 
I'm gonna I'm gonna make you go outside your comfort zone a little bit okay. to to end this segment. What is what is the outcome that you think would be most fun? Mm. I don't know if you got a rooting interest in this, but I'm sort of torn between you know if the Rockies win, it would be nice to see someone else get a chance. You know, something other than a Dodgers versus either Cardinals or Cubs NLCS. Yeah. Um, and I love the way Coors Field looks on TV at night in the fall, and mm-hmm. I miss it. Um, versus this Brewers Cubs game this afternoon was awesome, mm-hmm. and the idea of getting five more games of the up to five more games of this intensity is really attractive <laughs> as as someone who stands to watch most or all of those games. So I yeah. think I side more towards just the novelty of seeing the Rockies make the division series, but there's definitely an upside to, to either way. And I'm interested to to see what you think. It is always fun to see two teams that have slugged it out all season, then get to slug it out some more in the postseason. And mm-hmm. particularly the way that this race ended, I think there's kind of a, a grudge match aspect to that that would be really fun. But I do lean toward the side of novelty. And I think there's a lot about this Rockies team that probably isn't all that appreciated as much as it should be. I mean, what the Rockies have done in constructing this homegrown rotation is incredible. I mean, they have put together a rotation that didn't get a single start, I believe, from anyone who ever pitched for a team other than the Rockies. And this is been their struggle now for Mm -hmm. more than 20 years, for 25 years now. It's been, how do you pitch in Coors Field and how do you develop pitchers? Well, they've finally done it. And so I'd sort of like to see them rewarded for doing that. It's a weird kind of construction of this team because player development wise, they've done an incredible job and they've got absolutely nothing from their other transactions, from their free agent moves. I mean, they have just set that money on fire. I mean, whether it's Ian Desmond, whether it's the bullpen guys, they've gotten really almost nothing out of the big money signings and almost everything out of the homegrown guys, which is not really how you think of the Rockies. So I think I'd like to see that get a spotlight on the national stage. And not that the Rockies have been totally absent. They were in the wildcard game just last year. So it's not that they are as novel maybe as the A's are, although, you know, they were there a few years ago too, but I think probably I'd go Rockies and I don't want to default to just, oh, it's the Cubs and Cubs fans are terrible and we don't want to see the Cubs anymore. I mean, I think the Cubs have built a really great team too. And so they're entitled to be back here year after year, but there is a certain fatigue and the fatigue that we've all felt with the Red Sox in the past that we felt with the Giants that we now feel with the Cubs. That's a real thing. And I think I do have to go Rockies. It, what you said about the player development is interesting because they've got the, a couple incredible successes in Freeland and Marquez and Story and Nolan Arenado is way better than anybody expected him to be when he was a prospect. But they've also, you know, John Gray has just been, you know, you wrote about this too. We talked about this on the podcast. Yeah. He's been just had one of the most bizarre seasons. They've gotten very little out of Ryan McMahon. Rymel Tapia might be a write-off at this point. Yeah, so they've... They've had a, a lot of big successes, but their their player development, you know, it's not that pipeline that you see out of Los Angeles, for instance. Mm-hmm. And it's I wonder if if we see this team for another two weeks, if if we'll come any closer to understanding how they got to be this good. Because <laughs> I genuinely am at a loss. Well, that's the thing. I don't think there is one way that they did it, which is how we thought of it. Maybe we were thinking of it too simplistically all these years. It's been, well, how do you win in cores? What kind of pitcher succeeds there? 
And for mm-hmm. a while, the thought was, well, you've got to get sinkers and you've got to get grounders. You've got to keep the ball on the ground because if it's in the air, then there will be home runs. And then after that, it was, well, maybe breaking balls are affected by Coors Field, by the altitude, the thin air. Of course, they are. There's just less break. So maybe you just want to go with heavy fastball guys and they'll be the least affected. And you look at the rotation and I don't know that there is really a, a common theme between no, all of these guys. They're, just look at the stuff of, of Gray versus Freeland right. versus Marquez. And yeah. I can't no. Antonio Sensatella. I don't, there's no pattern. <laughs> no, there. I don't know that there is. It, it's just a, which in a way is more impressive. Like if they had found the mm-hmm. one weird trick that would defeat Coors Field, I mean, you'd have to right. hand you it to them. About but the, <laughs> the uh, Riley Pint, Robert Tyler draft that they uh-huh. had a couple years ago, just the guys, just get guys who could, 100 is 100 right. in the, you know, in the thin dryer too. Yeah. And it, so if there were a secret that they had discovered, that would be cool and you'd, give them credit for doing that. But the fact that they haven't, that maybe there really just is no secret, and yet they have managed to assemble a whole staff that can be effective anyway, that is really impressive. So I think they deserve to be there. I didn't think they would be here. I didn't think coming into the year that they would be the wildcard team. I didn't think for most of the year that they would be the wildcard team. But they earned it I, to a certain extent. I mean, run differential-wise, no, there are probably better teams. Mm-hmm. But they won the games and they're here and I'm really looking forward to it. Just look at this. This is a very Bud Black team. Mm-hmm. When you just this diverse uh group of pitchers that you're not really sure how they're doing it, but they just get the job done. Yeah. Um prediction. Need a prediction. Told Zach I'd get a prediction out of you. I'm gonna go Cubs, I think, but with very low confidence. I mean, you know, any matchup in the playoffs, you're talking about one game and you're talking about two good teams. So the range with which you would favor one team is always right. kind of 60, compressed. 40 tops. Right. And this yeah. isn't like a matchup of, you know, the best playoff starter versus the worst playoff starter or anything like that. It's, you know, it's fairly equal, you would think, maybe with Freeland on short rest. So there isn't a, a whole lot to distinguish these teams. The Rockies have played better lately for whatever that's worth. Maybe not much. And I'll, I'll go Cubs just because I, I think they are, at their heart, the better team. All right. Well, I think it's great that you hate doing this so much because we're going to come <laughs> back and do it in two days. Uh, as long so as we we'll talk back- retroactively about what happened, that I can I can show up for yeah. for sure. We can break down every managerial move and every miscue that was made and what could have happened. That is always fun, I think, because we get to get our second guessing mm-hmm. hats on. I mean, one of our best shows was the the post game seven of last year's World Series. Mm. Yeah, that was show fun. with the Kershaw thing. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so you're going to be at the AL Wild Card game, right? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. so if you're in the press box. Say hi to Ben. I'm sure he'll love having people come up and, and talk to him while he's trying to do work. Um, you know, I will be watching on TV and we'll, we'll come back and talk about this on, on Thursday and look ahead to the division series. So, all right. Have fun. Talk to you soon. That'll do it for this edition of the Ringer MLB show. I had to record that last bit about five times because I kept saying this week and we are not done for this week. We'll be back to preview the division series on Thursday. Um, Thanks to Ben Lindbergh and Zach Cram for joining me today. Thanks to Bobby Wagner for producing today's episode. Thanks to Liam Hendricks and Walker Bueller for giving us stuff to talk about. And thank you for listening. Enjoy the wildcard games and we'll see you next time.
Chinook Seedery is committed to quality, not mass-producing seeds as cheaply as possible. Their small-batch roasting process leads to a noticeably better seeding experience, and their seeds come in delicious, one-of-a-kind flavors. There's nothing more American than baseball and spitting seeds. Whether you're headed to the ballpark or watching the playoffs from home, don't do baseball without a bag of Chinook seeds nearby. Head to ChinookSeedery.com and use code MLB to get 20% off a bag of the best seeds ever. 